Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Okay. Okay. Um, Joanna, seriously? Oh, shit. I'm sorry. Is that coming through? Yeah, it's coming through, bro. Fucking surround sound. HD. Ugh, sorry. I have a little head cold. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) Do it. Okay. This is So Many White Guys. That was my Ryan Seacrest impression. He's always like, this is... American is American Idol. Idol. And he gets $20 million. If that's not fucking white privilege, I don't know what is. I'm not getting $20 million to intro so many white guys. Anyway, I'm your host, Phoebe Robinson. I'm a Ryan Seacrest in the making. Right? I think you're selling yourself short. <laughs> no, no, you've got to know your limitations, Ryan. Something you've managed to do quite well in your career. <laughs> anyway, I need to share some real, real, real shit with you guys. And my boobs are just really sore right now. I just got to put it out there. Safe space. You talk about your boobs a lot, actually. Well, you know what, Joni? We both have small breasts. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I hate when guys say breasts and they add so many extra, like, S. Breastuses? Yeah, you're like, have you never seen them before? Is that only, like, one hip-hop artist who does that? Oh, that's Jay-Z when he's like, I have breastuses for my breakfast. And I was like, you're a fucking dork, but also, like, if Denzel Washington said that to me, I'd be like, oh, my God, so dreamy. Personally, I'd rather have scrambled eggs. <laughs> but hey, that's just me. But I don't know what to do with those tossed salad and scrambled eggs. Tossed salad and scrambled eggs. Oh my god, somebody said that I'm your Roz. Oh wait, I've never seen the show, so I don't know what that means. Who's Roz? Oh, Roz is his producer on a show about a radio host. Okay, so have we talked about what Fraser is? Fraser is a Colin psychologist. Hello, Marka. I'm listening. And it's just and so Niles is his brother. Niles is his brother. You're ready? Strike. Okay. And then he also lives with his dad? Yeah, and his dad just sits on an old recliner all the time. That chair was the only thing that made me feel comfortable in this house. And this was on for 12 seasons? Oh, baloney! Yeah, it was on for a long time. People are obsessed with it. And there's a tiny dog. I call him Eddie Spaghetti. Oh, he likes pasta. No, he has worms. (laughs) What? Everyone was like, oh, Frisher's so great. And I was like, I'm not watching this. This is, like, freaking, like, white male nonsense, and I'm not doing this. Like, that and fucking David Foster Wallace and, like, 700-page book. Get a grip. I love how you are just slating David Foster Wallace and <laughs> Frasier in the same universe. It's white male nonsense. <laughs> it's not bad. It's just, like, it's just very self-indulgent. Okay, so this lasted for 11 seasons, and is there, like, a overall, like, a big plot, or is it just, like, wacky shenanigans every week. I think Frasier, he's like dealing with his ex-wife Lilith. Oh, that's B.B. Newer. Who's amazing. And then his brother Niles is like in love with this woman named Daphne. And then Roz is just a ball buster. That's like all I remember about the entire show. And Daphne is Frasier's maid? 
Does she work at a house? Daphne is the father's caretaker, so it's like pretty incestuous. Oh, okay. They're calling again. <laughs> I don't know if I can fucks with Frazier, yo. Yeah, my so at the coffee shop near me, the girl instead of playing music just has audio of Frasier episodes play in the coffee shop. See, that's again, that's ludicrous. I will, I would buy my croissant and then I would leave. <laughs> croissant. Croissant. My dad says it like that, but he's from New Jersey, so I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's cute. Does he like Bruce Springsteen and all that Jersey stuff? No, he, my dad is, like, really intense into classical music. Oh, Yo-Yo Ma. Yeah, Yo-Yo Ma. Once I asked him what he likes to listen to when he exercises, yeah. he said, I like to listen to something powerful, like Bach's fugues. Okay, you know what? <laughs> get your fugues and get out of here. <laughs> Pack your bags Fug and off, go. Bob. <laughs> I mean, okay. Go fugue yourself. Go fugue. <laughs> Okay. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all for comedy, Dad. Yeah. Um, okay. He so... doesn't know how to listen to this, so it's <laughs> fine. So many white guys. So many. So many white guys. Okay, guys. Okay, 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 okay. So this is it. This is the pinnacle. The zenith. Not the TV, but like the other zenith. This is the end of the season. I know. I hate that I had to say that, but it's true. This is the final episode of So Many White Guys. And as we all promised you, the final episode was going to feature our token white guy. And I got someone today who is so white, so white. Like he is like when people are like, oh, I want to paint my my walls white. They go to Home Depot and he is the swatch they use. He's that white. Also, unlike me, because I'm super brown, but like me, he walks between the worlds of comedy and public radio. He's a stand-up comedian, a frequent contributor on This American Life. He's written a book. He's done, I think, two or three solo shows already, directed movies. That's right. You figured it out. I'm talking to Mike Berbiglia. He has a new movie out called Don't Think Twice. It is so good, you guys. I laughed and I cried. I'm going to go see it a second time. That's how amazing it is. And I know people say that all the time, but I really, truly, truly mean it. You guys are in for a treat. I swear to God. Ooh. God. Taking the Lord's name in vain, huh? <laughs> you know it. So bad. Um, <laughs> so uh, mm-hmm. let's just take a quick second. Nope. Yep. Nope. And I'm in the control booth, so we're going to take a second. Nope. And we're. Okay, I'm cutting you off now. <laughs> it's time for the sponsors. No. Welcome back. 
Okay, it's time for my interview with our lovable token white guy, Mike Berbiglia. So I guess we should start, but the sooner we start the interview, the sooner it's over. And then the sooner the whole season is over. Guys, oh my God, guys, they don't know if I'm ready. But you know what? They say if you love something, let it go. So I'm going to let you guys go into this interview while I have a glass of rosé and reminisce about all the good times and hopefully... So many white guys will come back to me. Let's do this. Great sniffle, Joanna. (laughs) 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 Fuck New York. I love New York, but fuck New York. (laughs) Yes. This week, fuck New York. Absolutely. I like the the gray. Oh, do I? (laughs) I love that that's a compliment. I, I didn't even realize. I like I like gray in a man. All right. Yeah, well, I so I appreciate that. I'm gonna own it. <laughs> I think it's the only ch- choice I have is to own it. Uh, well, thank you so much for Thanks. being here. I love Mike. the show. I'm I'm I was uh, just saying to you off air that I'm almost caught up. I'm I'm I think I've, I've listened to pretty much every episode. Thank you so love much that. for doing that. That's really that really means a lot. I'm, I'm like, just hoping to say anything interesting enough to get the sound effect. <laughs> We got it all locked and loaded for you. Don't you even worry. I got to say some clever things. (laughs) And your book is called Don't Touch My Hair? You Can't Touch My Hair. You Can't Touch My Hair. Yeah. At first I was like, like, no, you can't touch my hair. And then my lit agent was like, that might be a little angry. Take out the no. So now it's like cute, but it's still the same thing. And who are these freaks asking to touch your hair? White people. I know. I know. I get it. (laughs) I'm hearing it on your podcast and going like, who are these jerks? Like, why would someone? Yeah, why would I, someone say that? I think it's because no. African American hair is historically has been such a mystery to so many people. It's a thing. Chris Rock did a movie about it, right? He did a whole movie about it, and like we are taught to change our hair to fit in, mm. and so then when we show like our natural hair, right? People are like. What is this magic? Right. And you know what I mean? They're like, let me touch. And then right. you're like, don't treat me like a weirdo because yeah. I didn't straighten my hair today. But it's a it's well-meaning people. Like they're not like trying to be offensive or right. rude. It's just historically you cannot touch my hair. Yes. <laughs> Unless we were like in an intimate you know, situation. Yes, I heard you note that on one of the episodes. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you made that really clear. <laughs> So I, I saw you at the premiere of the movie, right? of my movie, yes. right? Yeah. I, full disclosure to all the listeners, I was uh, very nervous, so I, I said nothing to you. <laughs> no, but you said, like, one thing. I didn't say anything. Oh, you didn't say anything? Okay. No, I saw you when you came out, introduced the movie, and I told my friends, like, oh, my God, I love Mike. He's so funny. Um, and then at the uh, after party, I saw you, I think, with, with your wife. Yes. Yeah. And I saw you and, like, I think you, like, looked over in my direction. And I was, like, I told my friends, like, oh, my God, I can't say anything to him. And so I, like, was weird. Aww. But congratulations on Don't Think Twice. It Thanks. is, like, so good. Thanks. It's amazing. We're going to get to that in a second. But first, we have to address the elephant in the room, which yeah. is that you are the token white guy for this season. Man, that's scary. <laughs> I represent all white men in America. You do. You have to, like, explain everything. The we good are, and the bad. <laughs> white guys are are on hard times right now. <laughs> We're an embarrassing bunch of people. Yeah. It is 
it's a it's hard to beat a token white guy in this on this episode because yeah. it's I I mean my wife and I just lament it like every day. It's like embarrassing to be a white person right now because <laughs> no, it is because I, and I don't want to get too political, but there's a lot of positive change, yes. and then in the wake of that, there's a lot of sort of resistance to that positive change. Yeah, and, like, you should not be embarrassed because I think you are a fantastic white gentleman. <laughs> and I I want to ask you Thank some you. questions about being a, a, a white man Please. in the world. So yeah, hit first... me. I'm all, I'm all things white. <laughs> I know what all white people are thinking yes. all the time. <laughs> so what's it like to be a white man working in entertainment? Is it, is it tough oh, for you making your own movies? And... Doors open everywhere. <laughs> The red carpet rolls out next to every Uber in town. No Uber X's for me, just Uber VIPs in every direction. Um, no, I mean it's um, yeah, I mean it's an it's it's a unique uh, it's a unique moment right now because there's a lot of dialogue about race. There's a lot of dialogue about gender, and I think it's I think it's very positive, but I also think. Um, the title of the show, So Many White Guys, yeah. is accurate to entertainment because there is kind of a, a preponderance or an overabundance of white dudes talking about white dude things. Yeah. And so, you know, my job when I made like Don't Think Twice, for example, is like how do I make this human? How do I make this, you know, how do I not make this about an improv group in New York City? How do I make this about friendship in general? So that all people can identify with it. Yeah, and I thought that was one of my favorite parts of it. I mean, I definitely identify with it because I started out doing improv in college, just like informally on campus. And I switched to stand-up eight years ago. But it really, I feel like it really captured the whole comedy experience and like seeing your friend. Like I've definitely been there where I've like seen my friends like get cast on stuff and like I'm going on auditions. And there was like a good like year and a half. I could not, like two years where I could not book Anything, and I was like, I yeah. quit my day job. I had job. ten years like that throughout my twenties. I didn't get cast in one thing until I directed my own movie, Sleepwalk With Me, and then I cast oh. myself as the lead. I like, see. It's like the first thing I was cast in. I guess because you did three Comedy Central specials, and then you also had albums out, mm-hmm. and then you were so I to me. So it seemed like I was everywhere to, to right. comedy nerds like you. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I was like, oh, this guy's killing it, and that's. Yeah, but I had like two years. I quit my day job. I was like, I'm really going to do comedy. And I could not get booked on anything. And I was living by myself. And I was lying and telling my parents that like, I'm fine financially. Everything's great. And I was just struggling. I think your movie captured like that striving to like make it to the next level and how hard it is. And people think that what we do is easy. And they think that we just become overnight successes. Mm -hmm. And that's not, you know. Yeah, I think it takes like a solid 10 years to get decent. I mean, when I look back at what I made in my 20s, I'm not super proud of it. Really? I think it's okay. Yeah. I think it's pretty good. Yeah. But that's all fine. I mean, so much of what we do is trial and error, and that's what's tough about it. Yeah, because you have to fail in front of other people, Yeah. which is uh, terrifying, but also at the same time, it's kind of like, okay, whatever. Yeah. But like so much, I, I feel like we have a, this sort of an, a misunderstanding in America, or we're fed the idea that success is exposure mm-hmm. or visibility. But in fact, like success, I think is connecting with people, and and you know, 
in that in uh you know helping people be serving a purpose like i feel like you know i've been traveling around the country with a movie doing these like free improv workshops and uh in like 20 different cities and i always say to everybody like if you perform for 20 people or 50 people or 100 people and they and they laugh and they came into the room that day thinking that they not thinking they would laugh cuz everything in the news is so depressing or they're dealing with stuff in their life that day that is way more powerful and moving to me than performing on a crappy sitcom that's being half watched by 7 million people yeah and I'm glad you brought this up because that was one of the things I, I laughed a lot during this movie, but I also like cried a lot oh, too, good. which was like really great. I think the performances were fantastic, but I, it brought up this great argument that you just mentioned where it's like we all get fed this idea that we should all want the same thing. And what I like in the movie is that you have this balance of like, yeah, sure, there's nothing wrong with like wanting that big thing, but you don't have to want that. You could just find joy and just doing the thing and loving the thing, which is something that we're not conditioned to feel. Yeah. Um, and I was wondering, was that something like from your life specifically, like were you trying to go after things and then you realize, I don't want to be over there? Yeah. Yeah. No, t- absolutely. I don't think I could have written this movie in my 20s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it took till I was, you know, 36. I think when I started writing it, was it 35, 36? Basically, in my 20s, I was chasing you know, being a successful stand-up and then what people told me was the end result of that, which is, like, getting a sitcom. And then I think when I was, like, like 30 or so, I got my own sitcom pilot at CBS, and it was, like, Rob Odenkirk played my brother, and Nick Kroll was in it, and Francis Conroy played my mom. It was, like, a dream come true. We filmed it, and it didn't get picked up to air, and I was crushed. Oh, and then... Man. But then, weirdly... In the space of time after that, like when something doesn't happen, you have your whole calendar open. Yeah. That's what really, yeah, that's yeah. What really rubs it in. You're like, I'm saving this year for the 13 <laughs> episodes I'm about to shoot. Right. Cut, cut to. There are no more episodes. Yeah. And your calendar's open. And I, I had been working on Sleepwalk With Me, my one-person show, for like six years as a side project. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do that because it's something I care about, I have creative control over. And then since then, I've directed... Uh, two movies and made three one-person shows um, off-Broadway. And I am I'm, I'm so I feel so lucky that that happened. And mm-hmm. so I feel like in a lot of ways that's what the movie's about. And I, I what I love – I'm sorry, guys. I keep saying I love everything about you, but it's true. Um, that I know about you. That, I, that you know, right. exactly. There could be Thanks some terrib- for clarifying. Yeah, there could be some terrible things. Don't know about it. Yeah. Great. Um, but what I do enjoy is uh, in all your work, it feels very – autobiographical in a way. And I know a lot of stand-ups, I'm sure you know a lot of stand-ups who, when they get on stage, there is a mask. There is like a persona. But I I was wondering like what made you get to a place where you're like, I'm just going to to pull stories from myself and have that be my my brand. Or like, I mean, you could be like a one-liner guy. Certainly. And I started out sort of admiring... um, you know, like Woody Allen and uh, and Stephen Wright mm-hmm. and people like that, and and their stand up. And then I had, a, you know, I feel like in my twenties, I started to dig into some Richard Pryor stuff, and and that was sort of when I met my the the, the theater director who directed my one person show, Seth Barish, and we started studying, like for example, Live in the Sunset Strip, mm-hmm. which where Richard Pryor like talks about 
being on fire. And yeah. that was really, you know, freebasing on cocaine and then lighting himself on fire. I did not burn up freebasing. I burn up because I quit freebasing. I lit my arm accidentally. Now, here's how I really burn up. Usually before I go to bed, I have a little milk and cookies. No, I do. And one night, I had that low-fat milk and that pasteurized shit, and I dipped my cookie in, and the shit blew up. That, that really powerful sequence where he's at the hospital and they're taking the bandages off. He was such a brilliant actor, and so he would make you feel like what it was like to have the bandages ripped off. And, and for me and my director, Seth, like that was our model of, mm-hmm. for Sleepwalk With Me. It was like, how do we, you know, I had this incident where I jumped through a second story window. Spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> if you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix. But that was our model is like, how do we, how is it funny that I jumped through a second story window? And the and the prior stuff was like that. And then I started doing stuff at The Moth mm-hmm. um, and uh, and some other kind of storytelling shows. And and, uh, and and I just felt like when I was telling stories, I was like, ah, this feels like more connected. Mm-hmm. There's something mm-hmm. – ab- and that's not for everybody. I love all kinds of comedy. But for me, like I was like, okay, this is where I belong. So you now are married. Mm-hmm. And you have a, a, a daughter. A daughter, yeah. How old is she? She's 14 months. Uh, I thought you were going to say 14. I was going to be like – She's 14 years oh. old. <laughs> We're starting to look at colleges. She's 14 months and she's just a riot all the time. She just started – it's tough, you know, when you first have – as a dad, Mm -hmm. it's hard not to be a little jealous of your daughter and your wife for a while. Because you think they have a bond that you can't – Their bond is crazy. Yeah. With the breastfeeding and everything, it's just like – it's just like – it's just – it's like they have this weird alien connection. Yeah. And she'll always go, mama, mama. You know, it's so sweet. Yeah. And then, and then, recently, she just started saying like, da da. And like, oh, it just, it, it just melts me. That's really cute. Yeah, and it's what's great about it is it's with intention. Like the way she says da da, it's almost like she thinks she's saying a sentence. Yeah. Like she thinks she's being like, well, I think we should go to the park more often. <laughs> I'd appreciate it if we had more bananas around the house. Yeah. But then what comes out is, da-da! <laughs> I love that. It's great. <laughs> so you really, I feel like your career like really took off to like a different level. Like once you like got into like married and now you have <laughs> But you know, I do. Kind of. Kind- but also like there's like, a good solid half of the people listening to this who are like googling me, going, "Who is this?" No, that oh, is not. Oh, the guy true. from Orange is the New Black and Trainwreck. That guy. Hugh <laughs> and she had a question about this purchasing order. It seems like we're giving out a lot of kosher meals, and uh, these numbers have spiked. But but how can there be uh, this many Jews in here? I mean, who 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 are the Jews? I know it's confusing, right? Yeah. We used to have them wear the Stars of David, but we had to stop doing that after World War II. I don't remember why. Oh, easy. I, uh, I am with you, man. I mean, we need more cash flow expenditures. For reals, yo. 
Don't worry. I got your back, buddy. I'm so glad we kept you around. Was there talk of not keeping me around? See you later, buddy. I hate you on Orange is the New Black. I'm like, what a day. Stay tuned. I think having your personal life change in such a way where you become a parent, like, has to affect your career and, like, affect your self-perception and what you prioritize in a way that you just clearly weren't before because there wasn't a tiny human you had to raise and keep alive. Yeah. So, like, how did that, how did having a kid change your life and how has that affected your work-life balance? I was always really afraid of getting married and I was really afraid of having a kid. Why? Because I thought that it would be disruptive. (laughs) (laughs) Fair point. I'm scared too. It's scary. I feel like I'm so hanging from a thread of show business, like Mm -hmm. having a career at all. I feel like any disruption at all (laughs) is going to knock me off the thread and I'm going to fall into a pit of, you know, nothingness. No, really, really. I I mean, that's a fear I've dealt with for like a long, long time. And then it it didn't happen that Mm -hmm. way. I mean, I think part of it is, you know, when I got married, um, I've never even really talked about this, but when when I got married, I feel like, there's a certain I, and I I always said like I don't really believe in marriage, but then once there's something where once you get married, there's a degree to which you are sort of saying implicitly like I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like that might as well have been my vow, like the vows. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> I'm just here. just so you know, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> my parents have been together for 50 years. Divorce isn't on the brain. Like I'm just here. And so there's some kind of calmness in that. Mm-hmm. And there's a, also with your partner, I think there's a calmness. Like our relationship just calmed down and we really became partners in this way that that I think I think improved my work mm-hmm. um, because um, – also because my wife is an artist and she really believes in – what I'm doing and also believes like when that we got married the year that my sitcom pilot didn't happen and that my oh. one person show which makes no money did happen and she was like this huge advocate for that like she was really she's always been like a huge advocate of like me pursuing things that make no money and <laughs> like are artistically satisfying which yeah. is huge you know because when you're single when you're me when you're me like if I go to like I remember when I was single like I would go to like I remember one time I was in Atlanta and there everyone was like this is a great party town go to clubs all this stuff and I was like okay I'll give this a shot you know (laughs) and I went and uh and I hung out with this girl at the club for like a few hours and it took me that long to realize that she was just trying to sell me drugs Like I really thought there was a connection. Oh no! I was like, I was, I was like, yeah, I think she likes me. Like, she, I, there's something I'm doing that's working, and this is <laughs> this is a real connection. And then she's like, she's like, I think I'm just gonna stay here and continue to sell e. I'm like, got it, okay. So I don't know. I'm I'm not meant to date. I was I always when I was dating, I always found it to be like, you know, even if I hooked up with someone, it would be like. I'd be like, you want to get coffee tomorrow? You know, it, the, the, the opposite thing. of like yeah, the yeah, game. Yeah. But it's also like, I don't know, there's something about like just hooking up and then being like, okay, bye. Like it feels very, it's just weird. It is weird, right? It's like. Dating in New York is rough. It's awful. Mike, help me out. I'm back on these streets. Yeah. You don't have to say streets. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back on these streets. 
<laughs> I'm trying to up my street cred for oh, the God. for the podcast. Oh, but yeah, it's it's a, it's a nightmare. So dating in New York sucks. Dating in LA sucks. I think I always say to my female friends like if, if you want to find like a quality guy like go to another city. Yeah. Go to Seattle. Okay. Go to Chicago. I'm go, moving. Like, WYC, to... I'm out of here. So you're moving in case people like don't know what it's about. It's about uh, five people in improv group. Welcome the commune. Improv is an art form unto itself. The most important thing is don't think. You don't think, you don't memorize. You don't get paid. So true, but isn't that kind of fun, too? A lot of people know about improv and a lot of people know about stand-up, but I don't think people quite realize that, like, improvers and stand-ups have, like, this kind of budding head relationship sometimes, which seems kind of like, well, it's all comedy, but it's very contentious sometimes. I'm like, you've done both, so, like, how do you feel about both worlds and their relationships to each other? I, I've noticed that too because yeah. I've been in all you know Dallas and St. Louis and 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 Seattle and all these places and talk to the improv groups and there is tension between improv scene and stand up scene. But I I did improv from like my freshman year in college. I did stand up from like my sophomore year in college. On so I've been doing both simultaneously for a long time, and I think that they're the same act, mm-hmm. but one is communal. And yeah. one is very solitary, and so it it so those are two different types of personalities, and I think that that's where the tension comes in. But they're doing the same thing. I mean, both both improvisers and stand-ups are basically doing performing things that are challenging the status quo of society and or theater. Yeah, they're kind of doing things that are spontaneous and kind of insane and a little bit like pushing the envelope. Yeah, I, I feel the same way too. And it, it kind of is like in certain ways, like improv just isn't as respected. I think people don't realize how hard it is to riff and be funny oh, yeah. and tell a story. That's like f- magic. And people don't, I don't think people really appreciate it as much. And I think with your movie, you show it in such a way where you pull the curtain back and you see, because all the improv scenes were, those are real improv Some shows. of them were improvised and then some of them were written. Yeah. And it's like a mixture. Yeah. And it I don't think people realize how hard it is. And then when you watch your movie, if you're not familiar with that, you go, wow, this is, this is really impressive. Like, I should go to more improv shows. So I feel very lucky that I made this movie because it's one of those things where you, you make something when it takes three years and it's like all of your energy and you give up so much and it kind of works or it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And, and like it, so this movie is like, it also couldn't, might not have worked. It could have been a mess. (laughs) It could have been a mess. Cause especially with comedy, especially with movies about comedy. We got lucky. Yeah. You're killing it. And now it's in 60 theaters now. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. That's amazing. Highly recommend going seeing it. You're going to laugh. You're going to cry. It's fantastic. Before I let you go, please have one last thing to ask you. So, since you're the the token white yes guy on this show, do you have any? Were you about to say strong, white? Strong use of the H. Yeah, white. <laughs> Whose pronunciation of white is that? My friend Naomi Ekperigan, who's a hilarious stand-up, white. she goes white, white, white women. Oh my God! Since there's so many white women here, I want to take a moment to do. <laughs> A brief PSA, okay? Now, I'm a lady. I'm so offended by that. (laughs) 
I don't even know why I'm offended, but I'm offended. White. It's just extra white. Okay, so as the token, what's my responsibility? What is yeah? What's your responsibility? And also, do you have any token white guy advice you want to give to the listeners at home or in their cars or wherever they're listening to this? Token white guy advice. Mm-hmm. And then what was the first question? Your responsibility as a my responsibility. Yeah. I hate this. Yeah, the, I get this asked all the time. Like as a black woman, do you feel like you're repre- your turn? Do you feel like how do you feel as a white guy? I think it's hard. I mean, mm-hmm. I I think it's hard to to cope with as a white person to cope with what's happening in America right now because you feel helpless. Mm-hmm. You feel like there's vast injustices happening. You feel like there's mass incarceration of black men. You don't know where to begin. I mean, like I know Obama's pardoning pe- people right now, which I think is really smart. Yeah. I wish there were a lot more of that. Um, it's, um, I think right now is a time where a lot of issues are coming into discussion about gender and race. It's, I think it's really important for white people and white dudes, myself being one of them, to just listen to people and try to be open to, you know, one of the things that was really hard for me is I went to Georgetown University and... There's a story that came out a few weeks ago that they've there's there's a researcher who's discovered that at one point Georgetown University in the 1800s I believe was going to close uh, because it was broke, it was bankrupt, mm-hmm. and they and the university sold slaves um, into the deep south into like hard hard sl- even worse slavery situations wow. to keep the school open, and so that was something that wow. and and Georgetown to their credit. You know, because, you know, you look at like all the Ivy League schools basically in some way benefit from, benefited from slavery in their founding. And so it's not isolated to one school. But in Georgetown, to their credit, the president is kind of open about discussing it and talking about like what can we do and can we have scholarships for the families of these slaves or could we do they're, – they're having an open discussion on campus, which I think is great. But it is – you know, it's a moment in time where a lot of these things are being unearthed and discussed, and I think all you can do is just kind of listen more and uh, and and sort of take it all in and be open. I like that. I think everyone needs to listen more. We're all we all have a lot of opinions, and everyone's sharing them, and no one's listening to anyone else. So yeah. I like that. And then, what would be your advice besides listen? <clears throat> My advice for white dudes. <laughs> Here's how you can make it if you're a white man. <laughs> but, but what would the advice regarding what? Just like token white guy. If you're the token white guy in a situation. I think that in art in general, mm-hmm. I think that um, diversity – like there's a big call in right now in the arts for more diversity. And I think there's been a pushback from – some sort of angry white people that like yeah. that's um, limiting in some way or that's sort of like um, censoring art mm-hmm. in some way. But I also think I, I actually think of it as it's an opportunity to have sort of more voices in the mix and um, to more fully represent the audience that is taking in the art. I mean, one of the upsides of of this film that I had no idea would happen is – because I think because Keegan Michael Key is biracial, 
there's more black audience members at the movie. I see because I do go around the country and yeah. and and do Q and A's, and I'm noticing there's a lot more black people than are at my shows typically. Mm-hmm. And I didn't mean I didn't. In no way was it meant as a business decision right. to cast Keegan, but the by, the upside of it is like wonderful. It's I think it's so great that that it's um, that it's an audience, uh, it's a more diverse audience. So yeah, and it made me feel as a person of color in comedy, I was like, oh, it's cool that there's a person that looks like me. Yeah, in this story, it, it just it feels nice, and I, I think people sometimes forget that. So thank you. Diversity is good for art. Good for improv. Yeah. So thank you so much. Thank Don't you. think twice. In theaters now. Mike Berbigley, everybody. Thanks, Phoebe. Thank you. Can I call you Phoebes? Yes, I've heard people other call people me call you Phoebes. Yes. But I, did I did I pass the Phoebes test is the question. Of course you did. You, you could have called me when you came in here. Okay. I've been like, yes, great. Thanks, Phoebes. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> oh, my God. JoJo. Mike Berbiglia is like the most woke dude ever he was the perf end to a perf show perf season i know he totally was i mean i guess you could say he's pretty fly don't do it for a white guy uno dos tres cuatro cinco cinco seis (sighs) but seriously he like was the perfect choice and he's totally right like diversity it's great for art and improv and podcasts like we need it yeah it's great for everything yeah this was this was so special. I I know. This was so special. So uh, we, as a total change, got a voicemail from Alana that isn't totally insane. Friday, 1.24 p.m. Hey, Phoebe, it's Alana. Wow, Berbiglia, dog. He really, he really makes one realize that not all white guys are the worst. Not all white guys are the worst. Some of them are sensitive and thoughtful and smart and funny, like Perbiglia, um, and like my dad, and like my boyfriend, who I've recently uh, taken back because I realized I shouldn't break up with someone over producing a podcast. Um, you know, all those Twitter twats uh, who gave us hate in the beginning of the season before any episodes even came out, just based on the title alone, they're not white guys. That would be guests on the show because they're not white guys who would listen to the show um they're the ones that get three o's like there's so many um thoughtless white guys you're killing it dog you're freaking killing it good work good thoughts good execution good voice oh god good voice um let's do it again talk to you later love you bye end of message Oh, to the M, to the G. First of all, I'm glad she took back the boy. I mean, that was crazy. We all love him. But also, you're right. That was the most normal she has been since we started this whole thing. I mean, it's pretty great to have her back. Well, Joni, I I just, I just don't want to say it. But this has been a good run. And I hate that it's coming to an end. I mean, so, there have been so many awesome things. Like, remember Gina Rodriguez's soothing voice? I just wanted to bathe in it. Oh, my God. And how Hassan was, like, so woke and kept saying the word dope. I know. And Nia Long, she had that extra hair in her purse just in case. 
And we got to start this all off with the queen, Lizzo. Lizzo! Oh. Ugh, she walked in and I immediately fell in love. <sighs> okay, okay, we're patting ourselves on the backs a lot. We did a great job. Mm-hmm. We really did. Yep. But... No. Nope. We gotta go. Nope. We gotta get out of the studio. Nope, I'm staying here. Phoebe. Nope, I signed a lease. You signed a lease? Yep. I'm paying $2,100 a month for this loft studio space. It's great. There's a fridge. You're paying too much. There's a fridge. Uh-huh. There's a private bathroom. Uh-huh. There is... Is there a bidet? There's a bidet. Okay. I use every day. Every day. Every day. Bidet. Yeah. Day, day by bidet. day. <laughs> I'm not leaving. I'm staying. I am staying. Okay. You are going to love me. Hey, you. Hey, you. And you. You're going to love me. Okay, I'm not. I'm I'm staying. I'm not saying goodbye. Okay. The credits won't roll unless I say it. Am I going to have to read the credits? No. Can you do your impression of me. If it's good enough, I will allow it. Mew, mew, mew. I'm from Cleveland. Mew, 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 mew. <laughs> what the <laughs> mew 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 Beyonce I love Bono Eddie Vedder Mew 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 I don't want to read the credits Stay woke Babies <laughs> That was spot on The So Many White Guys team includes Daisy Rosario, Rachel Neal Joanna Salataro, Paula Schumann Jim Poyant, James Ramsey, Alex Overington, Rick Kwan, Dara Hirsch, Merritt Jacob, and Shanoa Estrada. Some more white guys. Oh, hey. You guys remember how we were doing that thing? We were remixing the theme song y'all like so much? Well, the people have voted. And as promised, we have a winner. His name is Merritt Jacob, and he's a straight-up white dude, and he's also a dope AF engineer who's been making this show sound amazing all the season long. And, like, one by a landslide. So many white guys. So many. Yeah.